Today is Tuesday. It's the 28th of March, of course, in the year 2006, and Alan Watt is with us this evening. And I drew a card from my Course in Miracles card little box. This is from the text, page 271. It says, In this world, you can become a spotless mirror in which the holiness of your Creator shines forth from you to all around you. You can reflect heaven here. I think that's what I was trying to say at one point. Uh, Alan becoming uh, a reflection uh, of our Creator, but a reflection is uh, it's just an image. And I think this says that more understandably we can become a spotless mirror in which the holiness of our Creator shines forth from us to all around us. Thanks for being here tonight. Yeah, it's a pleasure, yeah. Oh, my, my. We've got a real low volume there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't when we were first on the phone. It never is. <laughs> no. Well, thanks for uh, taking over last night. Yeah, that was no problem. Uh, there was something that I, I wanted to mention tonight. It's simply because it's something that's important to me. I've been doing some research. And this is for our listeners who have pets. Um, you know, when I when Molly was nine weeks old, she weighed nine pounds. And Molly is a little lab uh, Rottweiler mix. Folks, that she she really looks all lab. Anyway, when I took her in just to have a checkup and make sure she didn't have worms and etc., she had her first distemper. And uh, and. She was nine pounds now, Alan. Mm-hmm. And the distemper isn't just a distemper shot. It's distemper and parvo and something else. So they're actually injecting three different types of of, of organisms into them. Same thing they're doing to the children, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, when they give the children their uh, diphtheria, tetanus, and tetanus shot. Yeah. And, um, and he turned around. Uh, to a drawer, you know, to a table, and, and when he turned back around, he had a big need- a needle with a, a large vial of stuff in it, mm-hmm. and he walked back to the table, and I said, Dr. Cutler, what is this? What is that? And as I said it, he shot it into her and injected it, and it was her rabies shot. Mm-hmm. But it isn't just a rabies shot they get. There's uh, corona and uh, and some other some other uh, illness that a, a puppy can get or a dog can get that isn't even fatal, Alan. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, isn't that an awful lot to put into a little nine-pound puppy before their, you know, their immune system is even mm-hmm. even firmly functional? Yeah. And it's just with the way we do it, he said, you know. And Alan, he's a good doctor. I mean, good in the in, in the way that he cares about the the pets, the animals, yep. and he's very thorough, and yet, uh, when I scheduled her to have her stay, uh, they said that she had to have a booster, uh, dip, um, what do you call it, distemper, mm-hmm. and I, I said, no, I'm not giving her another distemper shot, she had two of them, that's all we've ever given, and she said, well, then we wouldn't be able to bring her in, because we wouldn't take a chance on the other so I let them give her a booster, and I asked him about it. He said, well, we do it annually now. I don't know when this started. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I was asking him about, you know, when they do the spay, they take the uterus out, and I asked if they leave the ovaries. Mm-hmm. And, and I asked him if he's going to leave the ovaries, and he looked at me quizzically, and he said, no. I said, why? Uh, he said, why would we leave them? I said, well, isn't that where the hormone production is. I mean, to me, it would be like throwing a woman, a woman who has a complete hysterectomy, throwing her immediately into the change with with hormonal imbalances that are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, this, she still would cycle. I said, but there's not going to be any blood. There won't be any uterus. She can't get pregnant. And, and he says, well, there's a little tiny bit of the uterus left. And then I said, well, I don't understand 
you know, why that means the ovary cup. And then he just kind of shrugged. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, that's the way we were taught. Yeah. So I started doing some research. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to do some research, and then we'll, we'll determine whether those ovaries are going to go or not. So every single article I read, they call it ovarial hysterectomy. Yeah. And that's what they do. And finally I got into some holistic um, websites, uh, you know, for animals. Mm-hmm. And I had I wrote to one of them and asked what their, uh, you know, uh, opinion or knowledge is about it. And she wrote back today and said, well, there are people now who are asking the vet and successfully to leave at least one ovary mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, allow for the, the balance, the hormones that, that the dog needs. And because they say that once the female is spayed, in her later years she becomes incontinent and it causes weight gain. Yeah. And I just wanted to, I got into some wonderful articles about vaccines. And there are many uh, veterinarians who are saying the over-vaccination is, is just uh, unnecessary and harmful. Mm-hmm. It causes all kinds of illnesses and weaknesses in the dog. Yeah. And, for example, the distemper. They said to give a distemper past a year is totally ridiculous because mostly the susceptibility to distemper is in the first year. Mm-hmm. And as far as the rabies vaccine, uh, this one article, the man uh, did some real thorough research and found out that this was in Pinellas County, Florida. It was a doctor of veterinary medicine, but he was holistic. And there were there was an association of uh, two veterinarians, and uh, there were four of them that actually pushed for this in the state for the state to mandate that there had to be a yearly rabies shot. And he and several articles that I read said the same thing. Once a, a dog has had a rabies shot, they can do a blood test 10 years down the road and still find antibodies to the rabies. Mm-hmm. But yet, every single year, they're getting them. And I wanted to bring this up because I think a lot of people have a tendency to just believe what the, quote, doctor says. Yeah. And I'm, I've made up my mind that she will have her ovaries up then and she will not be getting any more uh, of the annual boosters that are not necessary. And I just wanted to bring this up so that our listeners who may have pets and we love our animal companions and it's really they're totally at our mercy aren't they Alan? Well they are yeah. Take care of them and anyway I just, I just wanted to share that before we got on with something else. What are your thoughts on that? Any? Well I think it's pretty well like, like everything else in professions uh, the ones who go to university uh, get downloaded with um, techniques and so on, which they themselves don't question. In fact, the whole thing at university. Well, boy, I can barely hear you. Yeah. Would you try to talk loud till we get the volume going there? Yeah, the, the whole thing is the, the the doctors themselves are being trained or downloaded with techniques, and the whole idea at university is to simply parrot back what you've been taught. That's right. Without question. Because that's what he said. Uh, ultimately, he just, you know, I said, I still don't understand why the ovaries have to come out. Mm-hmm. And he shrugged. Yeah. And he said, well, that's the way we were taught. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there was no question in his mind. No, no, it doesn't occur to them. Yeah. And as far as these vaccines, mm-hmm. and there were several articles, really good ones that I read. And uh, they said that they usually get the vaccines for anywhere from 60 to 90 cents a dose uh-huh. and they charge anywhere from 15 to 25 dollars that's right I know so they're making a lot a lot of money they that, that's, uh, vet, and it was a vet mm-hmm. a veterinarian that wrote this article he said uh, their, their, their profits and their gross a tremendous amount of their gross income mm-hmm. comes from all of these vaccines sure it does Sure, does you see this is a problem in our system that's money based and and uh, getting ahead as they say, which is getting as high as you can in, in the uh, the money tree, 
you cannot keep ethics and morality uh, apart from profit uh, in the system when profit is the motive and so you, anything to do with uh, medicine becomes corrupted as yeah. soon as as soon as a monetary gain is involved and that's a sad statement on our affairs but it's, it's the same in the medical industry for, for humans or, or the veterinary system for animals it's profit-based and you cannot mix morality and uh, um, ethics with profit but that's exactly what the, you see people go into these professions today for, for the money and the status I mean that, that's the reason they go in in fact there, there was there was, there's people now who, who whose families traditionally were lawyers who are telling their children to become veterinarians because that's where the big money is coming uh, because people will spend everything they've got to save their little dog or a cat uh, especially the people in the big cities uh, where, where you can't even get a friend in the same building um, so so that they're gouging them for through emotion yeah. uh, and the promise to or not even the promise to save the animal but you know the hope that you can save the animal um, so ethics cannot be mixed with with morality uh, when it comes to life you see. I'm thinking uh, that we need to disconnect uh -huh. and try to reconnect because your volume is so low that it's almost impossible to hear you. Uh -huh. And that just is so weird because you called about five minutes till. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The volume was perfect. And then we get on the air and your voice, and it isn't, of course, from the station because you and I are connected together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but if, uh, if Nicholas is there and could put on some music, I, I don't like leaving a lot of blank space, but um, maybe we'll just go ahead. Folks, if you would give us a couple or three minutes, uh, I'm going to try have Alan call back and see if we can get a better connection. Okay? So I'll hang up, Alan. Okay. Okay, bye. Trouble getting through? Uh, no. Oh, I said, come on, Alan. Call. Oh, what it is, I swapped another cable to see if it would be better. Okay. Hold on, let's try this. Let me call it in. Oh, no, it's fine. That's better now, yeah. Oh, yeah, now okay. I can hear you real well. Okay. That has to be very frustrating for our listeners because. So many of them listen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As you do, you do the broadcast with me, and so that's good. Thanks. <laughs> well, I uh, I'm glad I took the time to do the research that I did because it gave me the confidence. Um, you know, one other thing I'm going to check out is the doggone heartworm pills. Oh, I'll tell you, I, I was talking to a vet up this way. And even though it's a big fad now to push the heartworm, he said as far north as I am, he said they haven't had a single case of heartworm. I wouldn't think so. That's what he said. You don't have a lot of mosquitoes, do you, Alan? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, do you? Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, but you're so far away from the... The madding crowd. Uh, the madding crowd. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the thing is here, where we are, uh, I'm at 1,800 feet. And the only time we ever have mosquitoes, if it's rained a lot and then gets really hot, you know, when the ground is really moist. Mm -hmm. But other than that, the breezes blow so consistently. Yeah. There just aren't mosquitoes. I don't have Molly or Mariah on heartworm. Uh-huh. But, but, you know, because unless we do our own homework, we don't know... For sure, whether we should or shouldn't. Yes, I know. And sometimes the cure is worse than the. Uh, uh, sometimes you know, the cure is fatal. Yeah. But, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And we're taking a chance. Um, mm -hmm. But I am going to look into that before she goes on to heartworm. And I haven't had Mariah on it for Mariah or Tessie for at least three or four years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a jungle, isn't it, though? Uh, trying, trying to get to the, uh, again. It's, it's such a huge business. 
it's a huge the whole pharmaceutical business is is, is massive and again they have a big say in training students at universities through grants and loans and so they make sure that there's their, their particular thing is pushed as part of the training you see that's right and the, the, the vets or doctors end up pushing those products and doing techniques this way um, never questioning because it doesn't occur to them generally that, that there's another motive behind it uh, you know that, that, that uh, it generally doesn't occur to them I'm sure so many doctors today are still given inoculations and seeing the effects of autism occur in families that they've, they've actually injected yeah. uh, and yet they're still in denial that, that because they've been but taught it the vaccine that caused it. yeah because they've been taught that they're somehow holier than now they're, they're gods in a yeah. sense and surely they would not be misled that's what they think and it's so easy to train whole generations of people in a lie um, when you you tell those same people that there's some kind of saviors uh, and medicine and surgery uh, well, most mostly medicine but uh, that's where we are today that the profit motive is, is so so incredibly huge and and the big companies have a massive uh, say in what is taught in universities at all levels yes if you look at the Rockefeller Foundation I don't think there's a single university in Canada or the States that doesn't get a grant for them. And that they control. That's right. Along comes a list of, of subjects and what they'd like to be taught and what they'd like to be omitted. Yeah. Uh, and that's the reality of the life we live in. Yeah. And, you know, of course, a lot of it has to do with the money. Mm-hmm. But um, Jeff said, I, why? They just don't miss anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? They're even doing it to the, to the animals. I said, well, you know, another thing it does, besides costing a lot of money, it and it, it, it creates anguish yeah. mm-hmm. for the uh, the people, mm-hmm. for the for the pet owners when their pets. She this one article, God, it was a good one, and this woman said she has been researching for thirty years mm-hmm. and doing a lot of her own uh, testing and that, yeah. following animals after they've been vaccinated, etc. Mm-hmm. He used the example, they'll bring a six-week-old puppy in for their first distemper, and maybe in this otherwise healthy little puppy, oh, the first time might run a fever and be a little lethargic for a day or so. Next time, a couple, three weeks later, they're brought in for their second one. And uh, and as she pointed out, when, they, when they're putting uh, the vaccine for three separate conditions mm-hmm. and they, and she said in mother nature in nature that just doesn't happen mm-hmm. they, they they don't they aren't confronted with three separate diseases all at one time that's right yeah. and she said they're very rare to find today but if pet owners will uh try to get single like maybe give them a tetanus vaccine the first time mm-hmm. and then the parvo the next time yeah mm-hmm. wait a couple weeks in between but then she said after that third time, as she gave some of the symptoms, and she said one of them was that they'll start itching, and there's no fleas. Molly itches her. Remember I told you, Alan? Mm-hmm. Always scratching. Yeah. And she doesn't have a dry coat, and she doesn't have fleas. Mm-hmm. And she also, there were, amongst the ones, uh, there were two that Molly does consistently. She licks her feet a lot. Yeah. And I don't know why, but that was one of them that was on the list of what they've noticed after, you know, they've had these vaccines. It's true because they sweat through their feet. Yeah. But why is she licking her feet? She licks her feet a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it causes a little fever after inoculation. I know, but what I'm saying is this is, she hasn't had, now, she did have one just last week, but until then, mm-hmm. she hasn't had one since she was like, you know, 10 weeks old. Oh, yeah. And so, but that's what she does a lot. Mm-hmm. She lays there and licks her feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is, but she said a lot of uh, other uh, problems it causes. The dogs are have a problem gaining weight. They don't yeah. fully develop or as, as well as they could. Yeah. I, I know there's a lot of, of temperamental disturbances, too. She, yes, she mentioned anxiety, separation anxiety. Yeah. And, and, and they always have to be with their owner 
Mm-hmm. She called them Velcro puppies. Yeah. And boy, I'll tell you, Molly's my little shadow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she's exhibiting, actually I said there were two of them, but there were four of them that the woman mentioned, and Molly is exhibiting four of them. Mm-hmm. And that it, it, uh, it makes me angry. And I, what my regret is, Alan, mm-hmm. that I didn't look into this a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if people think it's so easy to get an animal, uh, they don't generally think beyond it because we're trained to, to believe in this, this system that we're somehow being taken care of by the professionals, you see. Uh-huh. That's part of our conditioning. So we think as far as getting the animal, uh, but we don't think of the things that are all involved uh, around that and it isn't just a, a matter of you choosing the animal uh, now they've got the laws all over the place where you must get this for the animal and you must get that a rabies shot yeah mm-hmm. and also of course even when you go to uh, the veterinarians I don't know about the US or the states within the US but in, in, in Canada they automatically report it to the authorities that this person has a dog at this address, you know. Right. So, see, we're overrun by uh, big brothers everywhere. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. And it's the same thing. I know one guy from, from um, Pennsylvania phoned a couple of days ago, and his daughter is just going into New York University and uh, t- to get in to the university. Now they're demanding that you can show your early, your uh, inoculation data, or they won't let you in. Wow. Yeah. Well, see, I'm wondering about this. Uh, when I said, no, I'm not having, she's not getting any more distemper shots. Mm-hmm. And the girl on the phone said, well, we wouldn't be able to let her come have her surgery then because we just couldn't risk our other patients. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to print some of these out. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give them to Dr. Cutler to get, get, give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But I will find a veterinary uh, clinic mm-hmm. that will take her without the boosters or mm-hmm. I don't know yeah so we'll see what happens next year when her booster comes due uh-huh yeah yeah this this blackmail stuff is is, is getting beyond a joke you know when, when, it's, it when there's no choices you see we're getting no choices in anything anymore it's, it's this way or no way and that's getting the same now with sending children to school. They've got to have all these inoculations up to date. Um, it's the same Big Brother uh, complex where everything's been observed and noted and, and uh, observed through their lives, whether it's animal or human. Uh, this is getting uh, to be a totalitarian system. Well, it is a totalitarian system. They're just getting more uh, techniques put in place to observe us all. You know... I read about the tetanus uh, vaccines they're giving the children. Uh-huh. You know, because they're, you know, when we were little, I remember once I stepped on a carpenter's nail in a board. Mm-hmm. It almost went through my foot, the ball of my foot. Yeah. And they took me down right away to get a tetanus mm-hmm. shot. That makes sense mm-hmm. uh, somewhat, but uh, what I was reading about them, tetanus is not a virus, it's a bacteria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that you... you can't vaccinate against a, a bacteria. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it's something that's mm-hmm. not even around. Well, it's, it's not so much that. It's, it's the fact that uh, you, you'd be very hard-pressed to see a, a doctor that's ever seen a case of tetanus. Right. That's the real problem here. Uh, everybody, every student gets shown the same old photographs of somebody with this awful-looking face taken back in the early, the early 1900s and, and and they're all showing the same thing and they've got this explained to them what this is caused by but uh, you'll, you'll never find someone who's actually seen a case of it it's amazing yeah, yeah. And, and if it's supposedly prevalent in, in the soil and the ground etc I mean farmers are out there all the time cutting themselves and getting scratched with, with different things uh, and they don't come down with tetanus so it's such a ridiculous... I, I think it's a scam. <laughs> yeah. To be honest with you. Or, or there's an ulterior purpose for giving it to people. Oh, well, uh, Alan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, you hit that right on that, the That's the scary part. And again, 
um, all those trained in medicine are hard pressed to come to that conclusion because uh, they're, they're truly are the, the best fool in the occult is a willing fool uh-huh. In other words, they must believe in what they're doing. And, of course, all these people are trained to believe in what they're doing. And it never dawns on them that there's an ulterior motive in that little vial of liquid that they're giving, uh, even though they've never, ever seen the inside of one of these laboratories where it's made. It's all taken on faith. And that's how this whole system works. It's on faith, right down to the mother that brings the child in to, for the inoculations. It's a teaching faith-based system, and yet these, these big laboratories um, are guarded like, like you know, concentration camps. Uh, you, can't, you can't get into them. They're like highly classified areas. You can't get into them uh, and have an inspection of by the public. And you've got to say, well, why? And, of course, we know that the depopulation program that was on the go from the early 1900s and spoken about and written about in many, many books from the Rockefeller Foundation of Eugenics, the Eugenics Society uh, on population reduction, talked widely about using inoculations to bring down the populations of the... Of, so, yeah. It's in the protocols, too. And I think it goes even probably even further back than that because the elite have always used techniques of bringing down populations when it gets beyond a certain manageable size for them to control so why should it have stopped you know say in the 20th the 20th century of course it didn't any more than it stopped in the 21st century uh, it's on the go and, and the best way is to get it done by a method which the public will never suspect because they're trained to believe that uh, medicine is their savior yeah. yeah, the white, the white, uh, white smocked gods. That's right, the new priesthood. And the black, the black smoked gods. We have to take a look. All right, we're back with Alan Watt. Um, I, I was thinking of this, Alan, uh, talking about the vaccines being used as, uh, I'd say a big, very large part of their plan for depopulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you there, Alan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in one of the articles, and it was so well written about the vaccine, she explained it technically, but in layman enough terms that you understood what she was, what she was uh, discussing. And she was saying that uh, the, the many of the vaccines are from, I think they're called modified live viruses, mm-hmm. MLVs. Yeah. And she said basically what they do is they alter the virus and the uh, agent that they use to alter it with is formaldehyde Mm -hmm. and uh, that goes into the system along with the mercury that the marisol and aluminum and um, I don't think the body naturally easily expels uh, those metals those heavy Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do they, Alan? No, they tend to get to the brain and stay there. Yeah. In fact, uh, in the 1970s, uh, the studies done in in Britain uh, found that uh, in all the, the Alzheimer's patients that were on the increase, they aluminum. had it was all aluminum particles in the, their brain. Yes. So, so this has been known for a long time, and and they knew it was from inoculations. But Alan. Think about people for who year, for years used aluminum cookware. Oh, I know. I, I know that was promoted again from the top. You oh see, my th- gosh, yeah. there's nothing given to the public for the public's benefit. It's always for an ulterior motive by those who run the world. And, and of course, they, that's why they pushed. They, they knew from before World War II. Uh, in fact, they knew in the days of Egypt, ancient Egypt what aluminum did to, to the people who worked in the, mine, the mines and so on. The same with asbestos. I mean, the Egyptians had a word. It actually comes from, from, the, from asbestos, from the Egyptian. They knew that the mine workers got this disease and, and they knew all the signs and symptoms of it. So th- this stuff is ancient knowledge. It's, it's not new. And yet, through the, keeping the people ignorant, uh, they can recycle the same stuff and use the same techniques over again and say this is good for you. 
It's been done over and over again. And we're all trained to believe in the scientific elite. Uh, like Bertrand Russell said, they do they train the public. And uh, if you read Jack Zilal, who worked for the United Nations, the top sociologist for the planet, basically, um, he was quite open. He says all uh, teaching is done through uh, radio and television. He says through fiction. Uh, he says they elevate the doctors through television series and dramas. They elevate the, the legal system through dramas and the police system. These are three main elements of controlling the public. And yet we're downloaded through fiction to see it in a different light than that which really exists. So he said that all of these, these, these dramas are actually propaganda. That's how we're trained. Yeah. Yeah. Through our entertainment. Through entertainment, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. So it's an indoctrination technique. You're, 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 you have no sensor part of your brain working when you think you're being entertained. Uh, so you don't stop and say, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right or whatever. You, you get carried along with a story which you, and you can identify with the characters in the story. Yeah. And, and through emotive techniques, through emotion, you're actually being indoctrinated into seeing this supposed science in a different light than really exists, you know. And those people, those professions are then elevated in your subconscious and your conscious mind to be more superior uh, than they actually are in reality. Well, uh, there was a series on, maybe it's still on, called ER. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, emergency room. It's well named, though. It's to error, you see, as human. Error, yeah. Yeah. Well, that seems a lot of, lot of, lot of people. Mm-hmm follow that almost religiously. Yes, and of course the whole DNA thing now, where they want everyone a DNA typed, and they've been doing it actually for quite a few years on the quiet, but uh, that, that CSI series that they have out there, where every second line is get, get, get his DNA, you know, um, or get the body's DNA, or get this DNA, or that DNA, that's all you, you know hear. You make it sound good too, don't you? Yeah, I know, I know. Tell about, we've met... Yeah. Seven people off death row. That's right. By being able to tell by their DNA mm-hmm. that they weren't the killer. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. So it's pure indoctrination. And the public know when something happens in an area. I mean, in, in Toronto a couple of years ago, uh, a little girl was killed. They knew it was a pedophile who, who'd killed her, a sexual predator. And uh, the media went into action, well, big time. And that's all you heard every day was about this, the, the hunt for this killer down in Toronto, near Toronto beaches. Um, and this went on for maybe a month and a half, two months. And they had all the women, uh, the mothers in the area, nervous wrecks to see who was going to be next. And then the police were going around door to door asking for the DNA samples from every male, street after street after street. And they were giving it thinking, well, I guess it's the law. But it's yeah, not. It'll, it'll prove me innocent. Yeah, but it's also because they've been trained by television that this is somehow a law. And it's not. Oh. You see? So they were doing it automatically, thinking, I guess it's, it's like television, I guess this is law. And, and all the time the police knew who it was. Because they monitor all these released uh, convicts, pedophiles, and they know exactly who they are, where they are, and all the rest of it. So I think that was one big exercise on the public, actually. And the sickness of it is, think about it right back to the get-go. Uh-huh. They let them go, Alan. I know, I know, I know. Let them go to do it again. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then monitor them. Mm-hmm. That's but right. Like uh, the article that I had, it just blew my mind away. Uh, it was when they were having the Olympics in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And the article was a fairly large article. Mm-hmm newspaper probably I don't know which one it was but one of the big ones and it told how they had done a sweep all over the entire region or area and a whole bunch of different um, uh, police forces and they all came together and they rounded up 700 and some mm-hmm. known criminal yeah. killers yeah. thieves mm-hmm. they knew where to Find the melon. Yeah, I know. And I, when you're reading that, you're going, "Oh my God!" Mm-hmm. It, 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 they, 
you could tell by the way it was written that they knew where they were. Yes. And at the end of the article, it said it is not determined yet whether or not they're going to be released after the uh, the events were over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I know. But that's again how you how you keep the public. Uh, see, you got to have crime amongst the public ongoing to build up a massive police force, which really is an internal army working for those who own the system. And that's why they have the revolving door generally uh, of criminals out in society. Uh, it keeps the whole thing going. If there was very little crime, they'd be hard-pressed to keep all these police uh, men in work, you see, which, again, is an army that's really there to serve and protect those who, who, who are their masters. So they've got to have crime going on all the time. But nothing in life really is, is, is really the way it's presented uh, to us is, is different. Yeah. It's very, very different. Um, there was an RCMP officer in Canada. Is that the Royal Mounted Police? Yeah, only generally they're not on horses, right. except for shows, you know, small but groups. But they're sort of like the state police in the state? That's right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're sort of like the FBI in a sense. And uh, the RCM, this guy was sent undercover to work with the Hells Angels to find out their drugs, uh, their movements of drugs and this kind of stuff. And he brought a book out eventually, almost as a protest against his superiors, because he could never figure out why, when he, was, he had all the information there, you might see he had the dope on the dope. And, and, and the superiors wouldn't, wouldn't get raids going on to stop it from happening or confiscate it. And, and eventually he was, he was reprimanded and then he was suspended uh, for, for insisting that his superiors Apprehend do something when when he had all the information on the shipments where they were going the times all this kind of stuff and uh, and eventually there was an interview on on the CBC television about it and about his book and I could tell by the way the guy was speaking he still hadn't figured out that his bosses and the criminals were all part in the, the same group oh, sure. they need each other. They've got to have drugs in society to, to, to keep the police force up and to, to, to begin with, to have the crime going on. And then, think about this. Mm-hmm. They report it yeah. on network news. Uh-huh, yeah. And nothing is done about it. I know. And mm-hmm. talk mm-hmm. about the frustration that must cause, Alan. Mm-hmm, yeah. That, 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 that it's... Yeah. Here it is. It's known. It's in a book. It's on network news. Mm-hmm. Still, nothing is done, and mm-hmm. nothing is done to or about the superiors mm-hmm. that wouldn't do anything about it. That's correct. Sometimes talking about this, mm-hmm. it, it, it uh, boggles. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you know it, but God, Alan, the insanity just could drive you crazy. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, the world. The real world is completely different from the indoctrination and the indoctrinated version. The real world is totally different from that version, and that's where all we're all trained to see the I call it level one reality. That's the indoctrinated version, uh, and and of course there's there's another two layers at least above above that. And uh, as they go up the scale, and some of them catch on to what's going on, other ones never catch on yeah. to what's going. And that police officer, you could tell this guy was sincere. He still hadn't figured out why. He was. He, he really was confused. You know. Well, at least he was a thinking person. Mm-hmm. That he did something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wrote it and he spoke out and. Yeah. God love it. But isn't it strange? You 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 can be watched and monitored about your your business dealings, um, your financial dealings, the money you spend in a grocery store, all this kind of stuff. And and people all over the country who take drugs can phone up certain numbers and have it delivered to their doorstep at any time, night or day, nationwide. And, and they just can't figure out who's doing it. Who's kidding who? Yeah. You know. <laughs> And you know, when you see living in the U.S., 
I used to call it America. Mm-hmm. But living in the U.S. and seeing what's happening and and the quote force behind it, mm-hmm. and it's all I mean, so much of it comes from the U.S. Yeah. And then you think of going, mm-hmm. you know, just leave. Yeah. And then you wonder, okay, where do you go? Mm-hmm. Can't go far enough into the woods. They just burn the woods down. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know. And I'm, I'm constantly I monitored. There's yeah. a country mm-hmm. or a place in a country in this world mm-hmm. where a person could go and live in some kind of a, 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 a place that is like out of the world. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know. Untouched, yeah. yeah. Untouched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. And we're up again. Well, again, when we've all been sleeping or trained to be asleep in generation, countless generations before us, these boys have been so busy working with the sciences for, for today uh, to make sure that they could monitor everything from space and satellites and all the rest of it. Um, it's it's mind-blowing to see the, the planning that has gone into this to where we are today, incredible, minute micromanagement and planning has gone on by thousands of think tanks employed by the big rich men of the planet, and and they've they've, all, they've pretty well missed nothing, you know. No. Yeah. No, and and with those satellites, uh, Chuck told me about this. They had a picture, photograph taken from a satellite mm-hmm. and it was uh, a fast pitch in baseball mm-hmm. and they were to, able to zero in so close and literally catch it in one frame Yeah. Mm-hmm. and if they can do that it's true they could see a mole on your rump absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah and a lot of mm-hmm. just those people in the satellites mm-hmm if they just get a vicarious thrill out of just eavesdropping on people, like for mm-hmm. fun when they're bored. Oh, I'm sure they do. They do it on the phones. I know. We've all had experience on the phones. When <laughs> uh, I mean, often at night, if you're talking about the occult to somebody, uh, there's silence. And if you get off the topic into politics or something, then they start tapping, tapping, and make all these noises because it's the young guys they put on the night shift and they get bored listening to, to that kind of stuff but they love the occult, you see, so they leave you alone then. Um, it's either that, it's either listening to you or Art Bell, you know. So um, they give you all these little little taps on the phone when you wander from the, the favorite topics. Oh, they like it when you talk about the... The occult, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do. Oh, yeah, they leave you alone. You have silence then, but you wander off it into just, just everyday politics or, or what we all do. We tend to go into the bitching mode, you know, because we're so fed up. Uh-huh. Uh, but then these young guys who are the, the sort of apprentice eavesdroppers, you might say, uh-huh. to put on the night shift, they get bored and they start tapping the phone and making all noises. <laughs> to, to get, yeah, to get you back you on. That's what I think about. Yeah. I think about how boring it must be mm-hmm. when my sis and I are having our daily Yahtzee game on the telephone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I'm, I'm sure they put the, the, the lowest guy that's just started work, you know, on that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what they'll do, you know. <laughs> that's to give them patience, you see. Yeah. yeah. But it's the same, too. Sure, they, they showed a, a, few, a few years ago in the British Daily Mail, which you can buy over here, they showed uh, a, a full page of this huge, well, it was only part of a room, but it was an incredible uh, room, uh, and it's a circular room, really, with hundreds of television screens, and all these, uh, it was mainly women sitting watching them all, and this is from the cameras in London, just in one area. And they also said that not only could they watch all the people and, again, zoom in on, as you say, a mole on them, you know, or a hair on their chin, they they could also use boom, little tiny boom microphones and hear conversations in doorways at, at over 200 yards away. Wow. So this is the incredible observation we're under that George Orwell talked about in his book, you know, 1984. We're, we're here. It's all around it might us. Have been in Canada, I was reading about. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but some city that was just putting in gobs and gobs of cameras. Yeah. Uh, and 
in other places, they said. Mm-hmm. And I thought about the parks. Yeah. Remember in 1984? Mm-hmm. No matter where they went, there were microphones and cameras. That's right. In the bushes, in the trees. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, when I read it, I said, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. It's, they're probably putting them in the parks and yeah. camping areas, Alan. I, I know that they are in some places. And I know in Texas, some, some parks there, they have them already. And in Vietnam, they were dropping them from aircraft, these tiny little, tiny, tiny little dart-shaped things, which were microphones, and they were dropped along trails so they could hear when the enemy were coming through. Wow. So they can also put tiny um, cameras on them nowadays, too. They're so minute, and they transmit to a fair distance. So, yeah, everything today is, is getting monitored for Big Brother. You yeah. think they can hear when we whisper? Uh, I'm pretty certain they could, yeah. yeah. Actually, the day, yeah, they, they have, that's old technology, yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a shame? Sometimes I whisper in my own home. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, at the moment, the only oh, place no. that's safe is your own thoughts. Yeah. And if they get their way with brain chipping, then even that won't be safe anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That there's um there's actually a, a woman apparently in Ontario who's supposedly got one of these chips, and who's testing it out. And uh, uh, now whether it's propaganda for the chip, uh, predictive programming as towards it, I don't know. But uh, supposedly she she wants to experience what the public will experience when they have to use the chip and their own thoughts uh, to transmit messages to electronic messages uh, to, let's say, their bank um, for withdrawing money with her codes and all this kind of stuff and to find out if she can shield her thoughts and her code numbers from other people. Wow. So this is where this is all predictive programming. I think the story itself is to get us used to the supposed inevitability of this coming our way. Yeah. But that was apparently in one of the papers here. So this is coming. So, so yeah, your thoughts are the only place at the moment that, that are pretty safe. Uh, but if they get their way, it won't be for long. They want, you see, for a totalitarian system to survive, everyone must be completely predictable. That's why they like uniformity. They like groups uh, and so on. They don't like individuality. It's the individual that gives them problems, not the group. The group's easy to control. And, and that's always been their problem, is the individual, you see. So they want everyone to be completely predictable for control purposes. And this isn't my idea. This is what H.G. Uh, uh, Wells, the propagandist for the British government, and uh, Lord Bertrand Russell that worked with the Tavistock Institute in London, this is for what they see in their own books. They have to create a world where everyone is completely 100% predictable for control purposes. That's what they call peace. When you have no free will of your own. Yeah. 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 And that's that's what they're they're bringing about step by step. And of course the computer is only one step towards it to get us used to it because we are so adaptable and they said this in ancient uh, um, uh, Greece that the human being was the most adaptable species on the planet. So whatever gadget or gizmo they give to us, we adapt so quickly towards it um, that, that soon we can't really think of living without it. And, of course, the computer now is taking over mo- so much of a person's life with their banking and shopping and information transfers uh, as a stepping stone towards the inevitable, which is a brain chip, which is their, their virtual reality, and they're already working through movies to make this sort of thing appealing to children by telling them, oh, you'll be like your favorite comic star. You'll have superhuman powers of telepathy. And you can open things at will by thinking a thought uh, with having this, this cyborg-type body and, and a brain chip there. This is how it's, it's being put to the people. But in reality, once everyone's got their chip, uh, the main switch will kick in and the real purpose will, will also take over which is no more you as an individual person right. that's the purpose of it all yeah. when you talked about people getting so used to their gadgets and when we moved in here uh-huh. when we saw the home it never occurred to me to look to see was there a dishwasher oh yeah 
Because every home has a dishwasher, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I am mine, yeah. Alan, we got here, mm-hmm. and all the furniture was piled up all over the place. Mm-hmm. Suddenly I looked around and I said, Chuck, mm-hmm. there's no dishwasher here. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I looked at the cabinets and I thought, I can't give up any of these cabinets. I need them all. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually knee-jerk was totally bent mm-hmm. because I couldn't imagine what I was going to do. And then suddenly I said, well, I guess that means hand-washing the dishes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. I mean, it's just fine with me now. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I let them stack up in the sink for a day. Yeah. A day and a half sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then I have to wash them all. But it's amazing how we actually think we need yeah. some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people now who, who yeah. There are people now who, who won't even uh, think of using a landline if they got a cell phone. Yeah. In fact, there was one guy in the Toronto airport when uh, no phones were allowed after 9/11 for a week or two. He was crying on the, on the news because he couldn't use his cell phone in the airport. And right behind them, you saw all these Bell landlines, the phone booths right behind them, but it didn't dawn them to use them. You know. That's how quick people adapt to every bit of gadgetry that's given to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so, yeah. We are, we are out of our hour mm-hmm. already, and it's amazing how fast it goes. Yeah. You're coming back with us tomorrow night, aren't you? Sure, I sure will, yeah. Okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us tonight. We were kind of all over the place. Of course, we always are, aren't we, Alan? That's the best way. It's non-linear thinking. Non-linear thinking. Yeah. We are, because we never know when we're coming on what we're going to talk about. That's natural, yeah. Well, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be back with you folks tomorrow night. I wanted to mention, uh, I'm hearing from some of our former shortwave listeners who are now listening on the Internet, and I want you all to know that our, our radio broadcast airtime bill has already been settled. It happened just last month, late last month, I guess it was. But uh, if you want to help to support the broadcast, I would ask that you send FirstAmendmentRadio.com. An hour. Yes. Tomorrow night, honey. Okay.